and welcome. You're listening to Help with Ashley Yagi, where I share shortcuts to success for optimal mental health, meaningful relationships, and living the life God is calling you to. Because don't we all need just a little help now and then? I know I sure do. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, friends. Back in December, I did an episode about loved ones outside the church. Today, I want to do a companion episode to that on loving our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Some of you know I had an uncle pass away in the last few weeks, and he was charismatic and clever, and he was also gay. My beautiful interactions with him really shaped my life, and I'm grateful for him, and I'm grateful for others in my close circle who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or questioning. I feel like there is no way I can do this episode or topic justice, which is the reason this episode has taken me so long to get out. But there are some messages that need to be shared, and I want to share this to honor my uncle and his struggle, his courage, and his story. I want to start this episode with a simple question. What do you think you know about these groups of people? Is it possible there are some things you don't know? The greatest barrier to learning and also to hearing or seeing a person is assuming that you already know all you need to know. And even if you are in this population, there are still things to learn. So I challenge you to open your mind to the possibility of learning. I know I still have so much to learn myself. LGBTQ stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer slash questioning. My heart breaks for these minorities when I think of their difficult road. I haven't met or heard of a single one who hasn't had an extremely difficult road. I will never forget an interaction where I observed one of these amazing people, one of the nicest people I've ever met, thank his brother for always being so nice to him, like that wouldn't have been deserved or easy to do. It breaks my heart that they expect the world and the people in it to be rejecting or not nice because of something that defines them, something they never chose. People don't choose to be this way. One of my favorite quotes, such a favorite it's been up in my fridge for ages, is from a Benedictine nun. Sister Mary Lou Konaki. She said, quote, There isn't anyone you couldn't love once you've heard their story. End quote. Again, there isn't anyone you couldn't love once you've heard their story. I think this can be true not only for individuals who identify as LGBT individuals, but also these groups as a whole. In preparing for this episode, I had a few people send things my way. Thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> the internet is a wonderful thing. I've been able to jump into many stories, and reading or hearing these stories just makes me want to read or hear more. Each is so unique, but so hard. Richard Osler has done a lot of informing on this topic, informing of himself and of others, and he can be found under Listen, Learn, and Love. He did a presentation in Rexburg just over a year ago that I've pulled some good information from for this podcast, such as numbers, how many members identify as LGBTQ+. According to his knowledge at the time of his presentation, there were about 780,000. We could fill the BYU football stadium 12 times with LGBTQ plus church members. 12 times. That's a lot. It's approximately one in every 20. These are members of our congregations and they are members of our families and they should be welcomed in. They should have a place with us. 
As part of my graduate studies to become a therapist, we had to go through a process to uncover our own biases and beliefs. A few from minority groups were brought in to share their stories. One of the individuals who was brought in was a gay gentleman, and he shared his story of being raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and discovering he was gay. He shared a heart-wrenching story about being a young single adult who underwent a year, maybe even two if I'm remembering right, of intense off-and-on fasting to have his orientation changed. He believed it was possible, but God never did change his sexual orientation. He served a mission for the church, and he prayed that this sacrifice would be the offering or sacrifice needed to receive his miracle of change. He still never received his miracle. He got married to a woman, and they had children together, and it was heart-wrenching. He wasn't attracted to her, and it broke their hearts over and over again. They divorced, and they remain good friends till this day, and he has found peace with leaving the church and a lot of happiness within a same-sex marriage. There are many different roads for these individuals. Also for our program, we needed to interview someone in a minority group, and I chose to interview my uncle. And it was a really cool experience for me. He was really honored to have the opportunity to share his story with me. He shared the challenge that many go through of growing up being told that something is bad or wrong and then discovering it within yourself and suddenly feeling that you are bad or wrong. He shared about serving a mission for the church. And while on his mission, Elder Packer at the time spoke against homosexuality in general conference, and he felt attacked when he was out doing this hard thing for a religion he believed in. He then decided if he's going to go to hell, he might as well enjoy the ride, and he never returned to church activity. He shared about the need for people to be aware of the struggle of realizing oneself is gay and the high risk of suicidality among these youth. Psychology Today reports that among youth who identify as sexual minorities, the likelihood of death by suicide has been estimated to be up to two to seven times greater than the likelihood of death by suicide among heterosexual youth. Are we looking out for these youth? Are we creating a safe space for them? Are we creating a space for them at all? Are we creating a community for them to exist in? I'd bet there's at least one in your ward right now. Brene Brown has said that not belonging or psychological isolation is, quote, the most terrifying and destructive feeling that a person can experience. This is not the same as being alone. It is a feeling that one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and of being powerless to change the situation. In the extreme, psychological isolation can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation. People will do almost anything to escape the combination of condemned isolation and powerlessness. Embracing, valuing, empathizing, and including people communicates that they belong with us, end quote. Can we embrace? Can we value? Can we empathize and include? That was from Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. I'm going to share some of Ben Shalati's story as shared on his blog earlier this year. He is an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who is also gay. He also mentions his experience with President Packer's words. He says, quote, As a young man at church, I was handed a pamphlet called To Young Men Only. It was a printout of a talk given by Apostle Boyd K. Packer in 1976. This pamphlet was printed for 40 years and was handed to me in the late 90s. In the pamphlet, Elder Packer explained that homosexual feelings can arise 
quote, in a moment of idle foolishness when boys are just playing around, end quote, quote, such practices, however tempting our perversion, no one is locked into that kind of life. No one is predestined to a perverted use of these powers, end quote. Then continues, the teaching was clear. Homosexuality is a perversion. It is my fault that I am feeling these perverted feelings and it is my duty to fix them. As an aside, this pamphlet and these teachings have been removed from the church because they are simply not true. Ben continues his story. Quote, not long after returning from my mission, I started school at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. The first year after my mission was an incredibly happy time filled with friends, fun, and hope for a bright future. In earlier decades, missionaries heading home were told to get married within a year. This awful advice had ceased by the time I returned home, but the cultural expectation to get married quickly hadn't. When I hit the two-year mark, I started to panic. The praying to be straight hadn't worked. The fasting to be straight hadn't worked. The countless dates with women hadn't worked. The internal self-shaming every time I saw an attractive man hadn't worked. What if my orientation wasn't going to change? I read the words of church leaders who said that same-sex attraction was a trial, affliction, and temptation of mortality that wouldn't exist in the next life. I started to wish that I could die. It seemed preferable to be dead and straight instead of alive and gay, end quote. Can you feel the struggle in this? <sighs> One of the people I reached out to is my brother-in-law from my past marriage. I asked what he would want members of the church to know. He said, quote, I am glad you asked. I have been actually reflecting a lot lately about my faith. I think what I would say is to not assume just because a family member is LGBT that they are anti-Mormon. I still hold all the same values and a lot of the same beliefs, but there doesn't feel like there is much space for me in the organized part of the religion. I relate a lot to much of Mormon doctrine, but I also love my spouse to the bottom of my heart, and I don't feel like I should have to choose between the two. So maybe just making space for your LGBT family members to be true to themselves and still feel included, end quote. Can you make space? The Savior always made space. He entered right in with every population he came in contact with. He dined with people of all backgrounds and situations. He invited them right in. He associated with and taught them all, and he was never exclusionary, but entreating all to follow him. Sister Monica Phillips a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who is also a mother of a transgender son, said, quote, We could do better to help heal those members who are hurting and feel they have no place with us. Every member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as a church to our fullest potential. The answer to overcoming Satan, strengthening family, and bringing people to Christ is love, end quote. I love that quote so much. Every member is vital, and without them, we cannot function as a church to our fullest potential. We cannot function to our fullest potential. These people are designed by God. They are needed. They are vital. And how could we ever profess to be Christ's church if we are excluding or pushing people out? All may enter. There is space here for me and for you. I don't know who said it, but I heard someone say once that their favorite smell at church is cigarette smoke. We all have sins and weaknesses, every one of us, and some are more challenging and some more obvious. We come to be strengthened. We come to enter into a relationship with the Savior. We come to learn to love and to be loved. Ben Shalati, Shalati continues his story. He says, quote, One evening, a friend stopped by my apartment and told my roommates and me that a close friend had just come out to her at dinner. She was shocked and was trying to process the whole situation. 
I immediately perked up when she mentioned that her friend had said he was gay because at the time, it hadn't occurred to me that there were other gay people at BYU. I had thought I was the only one, which left me feeling incredibly isolated. She mentioned that there were a number of anonymous blogs written by BYU students who expressed same-sex attraction. I was stunned. There were other people going through what I was going through, and I could read about their experiences. At the age of 23, I found myself walking through a park near BYU with two of my best friends. I'd been wanting to share my struggle with same-sex attraction for months, but had always chickened out. Suddenly, I knew that this was the moment. I asked them if we could sit on the grass because I wanted to tell them something. I hesitated, not sure that I could get the words out. started to get so nervous that I thought I might actually throw up. As I started to plan my retreat, a sweet spirit whispered to me that my Heavenly Father had orchestrated this moment for me. So I gathered my courage and said for the very first time, For as long as I can remember, I've been more attracted to men than women. They both responded with love and kindness and asked some good questions. I turned to my friend Craig, who is my best friend and roommate, and said, I understand if you don't want to be my roommate anymore. He looked surprised and said, why wouldn't I want to be your roommate? You're the same person you've always been. His response was the beginning of my healing. If Craig still loved me and saw me the same, maybe I could too. As I came out to my family and friends over the next few years, the shame and internalized homophobia I'd been feeling slowly started to diminish. Each moment of vulnerability shared and then received chipped away at my shame and I learned to see myself not as a broken heterosexual, but as a gay man who was whole the way he was, end quote. We don't know what it means when someone we love admits to a struggle conflicting with the church. We go into fear mode and worst case scenario mode, and we start to question everything we know about the person and feel like we maybe no longer know who they are and what they believe. If we could shift to love in these moments, it'd serve us all so very well. Love moves us to understand or open up dialogue. Love moves us to seeing what we already know to be true. They're the same person. Last June, I started the process of going through a divorce. This is a big deal thing. One of the hardest parts for me was being in the strange place of not knowing who knew what was happening in my life or how I would be received by people. It was such a weird feeling. I'd be talking to someone at church and wonder, do they know about me? Do they know about the divorce? It came up for me over and over. I just wanted to know how to be in those interactions. Were we still on the same page? Had their view of me changed? Do they know what I'm going through? Do they still accept me? Are they going to be okay with me still serving in my leadership role? Are they going to be okay with me serving in primary with their children? Now, I don't for a second pretend to know what it's like to go through what the people who identify as LGBTQ go through. But a part of me wonders if it's always like that for them. The wondering, do they know about me? Can I be me with them? Do they still accept me? Are we good? Are they going to be okay with me serving how I've always been serving? Are they going to be okay with me working with their kids? Being placed as an example to them. Do I need to be different now? Do I need to pretend to be somebody I'm not to talk to you? Am I going to be received differently now? It was such a weird feeling for me that I decided I needed to broadcast the news. I started hoping the news would be shared. That people would talk about me behind my back. That they would know. Then I could assume when interacting with people that they knew instead of assuming that they didn't. And guess what? I didn't get fired from my calling. No one thought I shouldn't be working with their kids. Would this be the same for someone in the LGBTQ population? It should be the same, right? 
Don't you think God could use them equally well in whatever capacity he chooses? Here's one last piece from Ben Shalati's story. He says, quote, In my lifetime, as a side note, Ben and I are the same age, hitting the 40-year mark soon. He says, quote, In my lifetime, I have seen the Latter-day Saint community experience three phases in our approach to LGBTQ folks. First, homosexuals were feared. Pious members were afraid of us for being deviant, perverted, and carnal. We were perceived as actively defying God's laws and could change if we wanted to. Then, we were pitied. We were discussed as having struggles, trials, and inclinations. We were to be loved, but not to be talked about. No one knew where our problem came from, but they knew we had a problem. Now we're approaching a third phase in which we can be honored for the unique contributions we can make to the kingdom of God. We have definitely not arrived there yet, but that destination is on the horizon. And yet things are still bad. The majority of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints I know still feel feared or pitied in some degree. We have much to do to improve. Church leaders are guiding us to the hopefully near future when LGBTQ church members will be honored. Apostle M. Russell Ballard said at a campus-wide BYU devotional in 2017, quote, We need to listen to and understand what our LGBT brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. Certainly, we must do better than we have done in the past so that all members feel they have a spiritual home where their brothers and sisters love them and where they have a place to worship and serve the Lord, end quote. That is how the change will occur when we listen and understand, end quote. And I'll add that when we make space for them, when we allow them to share who they are unapologetically, this is something my uncle was unable to do in a generation just 20 years ahead of mine. This is something so many have been unable to do for so many prior generations. How would his story have ended differently if he had been able to find love and a place in the church? If he didn't feel he had years of trauma to spend a lifetime trying to heal from and move on from. Elder Nathan McLaughlin, who in 2021 was serving a mission in Georgia, said, quote, I want to share something with you. I'm gay. I didn't choose to be this way. It is a divine and immutable attribute. I used to loathe and fight this part of myself for so long, attempting to fix what was never broken. I have come to realize after much study, pondering, and sincere prayer that this is a beautiful and created aspect of who I am just as my other physical features. It is no more unnatural than my blue eyes and brown hair. It's a part of who I am. So I just want to say before the whole world, I am gay and proud. Quote, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God, see Alma 26, 12, because I know that God is a God of love, a God of diversity, and a God of accommodation. I am a child of God with beauty, purpose, and divinity, made with intention and resolve by heavenly parents who love me not in spite of, but exactly because of who I am, end quote. We do not know their path. We are not in their shoes. Give them the opportunity to share their views and experiences as much as you're comfortable with. Simply listen. Support them in finding their people so they know without a doubt that they are not alone. That is one of the saddest parts to me of Ben Shilati's story. He thought he was the only one. Can you imagine the challenges? They need to continue to feel loved and accepted, to hear the words, it's okay to be you. You're the same person. Our relationship can stay the same because you're the same, except now it can be so much better because you can be you. I can see you a little more clearly. We can talk about hard things now. As I shared in that companion episode from months ago, and as I share often, everything in a relationship can be placed between you and create distance, or you can stand together and place it before you and navigate it together. When we face things together, we can face far more than when we stand apart. 
and it doesn't drive us apart. The Lord's message through our prophet is clear, as shared in our most recent general conference. He says, quote, My dear brothers and sisters, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to be examples of how to interact with others, especially when we have differences of opinion. One of the easiest ways to identify a true follower of Jesus Christ is how compassionately that person treats other people. Before his death, the Savior commanded his twelve apostles to love one another as he had loved them. And then he added, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The Savior's message is clear. His true disciples build, lift, encourage, persuade, and inspire, no matter how difficult the situation. True disciples of Jesus Christ are peacemakers. If a couple in your ward gets divorced, or a young missionary returns home early, or a teenager doubts his testimony, or I'll add, divulges that they are gay or transgender. They do not need your judgment. They need to experience the pure love of Jesus Christ reflected in your words and actions. If a friend on social media has strong political or social views that violate everything you believe in, an angry, cutting retort by you will not help. Building bridges of understanding will require much more of you, but that is exactly what your friend needs. Brothers and sisters, the pure love of Christ is the answer to the contention that ails us today. Charity propels us to, quote, bear one another's burdens, end quote, rather than heap burdens upon each other. My dear brothers and sisters, how we treat each other really matters. How we speak to and about others at home, at church, at work, and online really matters. Today, I am asking us to interact with others in a higher, holier way. Please listen carefully. Quote, if there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy, end quote, that we can say about another person, whether to his face or behind her back. That should be our standard of communication, end quote. And that is from the talk, Peacemakers Needed by President Nelson from our last general conference. So my summary in 60 seconds or less is this. We do not know their story. We do not know what it's like, but we ought to come to a place where we can hold space for them, where we can hear their stories, where we can listen to understand where we can help them to know that they can be them with us. They are safe. We want them to know that they're welcome in our circles, that they can be honored and valued for who they are, for what they can contribute. Our wards, our families, our communities are not whole without them. We need to be aware of the suicide risks for these populations and the need to be reaching out, to be educating, to be helping them find support. Nearly one in 20 members of the church identifies as LGBTQ. There isn't anyone you couldn't love once you've heard their story, says Sister Mary Lou Konaki. The Savior always made space for everybody. He entered right in with every population he came in contact with. He was never exclusionary, but entreated all to follow him. These people have been designed by God. They are needed. They're vital. If we profess to be Christ's church, we need to make it a space that all can enter. We need to learn to love. Can we get better at loving? I know I can. As President Nelson said, true disciples build, lift, encourage, persuade, and inspire. True disciples of Jesus Christ are peacemakers. So let us go forth. Let us invite. Invite sharing. Invite people. Invite love. And may we get to that place where all members feel they have a spiritual home, where their brothers and sisters love them, and where they have a place to worship and serve the Lord, as President M. Russell Ballard said in 2017. 
2017 was six years ago. How close are we getting to that place? These individuals can be honored for their unique contributions that they can make in the kingdom of God. Have an amazing week, my friends. Thanks for listening. Subscribe and share to keep these episodes coming. The content shared is for educational and informational purposes only. It should not be used for diagnosing or treating a mental health problem.